This is the Smooth Operator Podcast. I'm Adam Liette, Director of Operations for a seven-figure online business and eight-year veteran of Army Special Operations. On this show, we get into the tactical nitty-gritty of what it really takes to run a thriving online business because at the end of the day, operators lead the way. Okay, welcome to the Smooth Operations Podcast. I'm Adam Liette. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Friday, so I have a special guest uh, with us for our Friday interview, and I'm really excited about this one, guys. You know me, I get super nerdy about the awesome people I'm able to get onto the show, and this one is no exception because I have someone in operations, and operators just make me geek out in all sorts of ways, as you know by now. Uh, But I'm joined by Nicole Badino. uh, She's with Webinar Ninja and the $100 MBA podcast, and She's the COO for Webinar Ninja and and the podcast. And thank you so much for joining me today. And I have to confess straight up front, Nicole, I wasted, not wasted, I uh, improperly invested two and a half years of my life to getting an MBA. And I learned one heck of a lot more from your guys' show than I did from that two and a half years. So it's a huge credit to the content you guys are bringing. And so great to have you on the show. Thank you. Oh, Adam, thank you so much. It's awesome. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, look, the content, the curriculum, the whole MBA stuff, that's all credit to Omar. He puts all that content together, but uh, we get that feedback a lot. You know, the price of an MBA, that whole investment and time um, is just, yeah, sometimes not really worth it, depending on what you're getting it for. So um, yeah, we've heard that before. So thank you. Really appreciate that feedback. Absolutely. So I'm, I was reading into the company and um, I think you started like nine years ago. Is that correct? Yeah. 2014 was when we launched at end of 2013, we launched the hundred dollar MBA and, um, and then not that long after 2014, uh, the hundred dollar MBA show podcast was launched and webinar ninja as well of that same year. But Omar and I teamed up um, today. This year's a significant year because it's it really marks uh, ten years that we've been together as as a couple, as co-founders, and um, you know, leaving out on education and that career to you know build a business. Um, so it's a decade on, but um, yeah, eight nine years now with the businesses. And uh, the CEO Omar is your husband, right? Yes. It's- so we. Yeah, so we're a the, co-founding couple as well. That, that CEO-CO relationship is always interesting anyway. I know that as a former COO. How is it when it's your husband? How does that work? It's you yeah, it's an interesting dynamic. You're right, because I think because we're a couple as well, um, there's a lot of co-running, a lot of co-decisions that are made, a lot of a lot of communication about what we're doing. Um, so, in that traditional sense that I learned, you know, later on in years through through you know through trial and error, you know, there's supposed to be or supposed to be that kind of clear demarcation between the CEO, the visionary, and then the COO or the integrators. You know, thanks to Gino Wickman and I don't know who, if anyone else came up with that, but you know, that role usually tend to be very kind of, you know, separated and 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 delineated. Um, But when it's a husband and wife dynamic, then sometimes there's a bit of, you know, crossover. Um, So it it is an interesting one to navigate. And honestly, throughout the years, we've we've learned how we work together. Um, We've learned 
I had to find my place in the in the company because I had a lot less business experience when we started. And so for me, it was navigating, well, how do I best fit into um, the work that we're doing, the different roles as the team is growing? Um, whereas, you know, Omar had much more business experience. So he was very much more the visionary. Um, and so I would kind of try and find my place. But that where sometimes I would get tripped up. It's like, well, I've got some ideas too. And not that he would ever stop me from sharing those ideas. In fact, he welcomes all of that. But it's where those lines blur a little bit between those two roles. Absolutely. I completely understand that. I'm married to an entrepreneur as well. Different business, but we're both out of the same house. So we have those nice little moments of negotiation, let's say. And (laughs) there's something really healthy about both being, I mean, it's a different kind of mindset to be able to like thrust ourselves out in the world, vulnerable. And it takes a lot of courage on both parts to really just not just settle for the, I don't want to belittle the nine to five, but that's a different mindset versus when we're out there creating and bringing our work home with us because we can't turn it off. I mean, it's not possible. So And that's where it helps when you are like, you know, you're working with your partner, um, you know, the fact that you can both really relate to each other's struggles, the, the stresses that you're going through, the challenges that you're going through, celebrating the wins and really feeling like what those wins are because you get it. Um, I think there's something quite special about it. Um, so it, it is a very, uh, I think it's a, we're in a very fortunate position that we can work together, but it might not work for everyone, but we've definitely made it work, which is, which is great. The good thing is like, a partner in this space understands how exciting a high converting lead magnet is, right? And it's like, we can share these super nerdy parts of our job and they get excited about it too. So I love it. It's wonderful. A fridge magnet? No, lead magnet. Okay. I get it. <laughs> I'm going to try that one next time. Love it. Awesome. So when you're getting started, just uh, flashing back to that, because I, I, I felt the same way, like, who am I to be getting into this? This online thing and back in 2014 it was an entirely different landscape so what were the some of the things that you took on to like prepare yourself for the role and then that continuing growth that had to go happen while the company was growing yeah i mean look it's if, if i take it back to 20 2012 when i left i left a career in teaching so did Omar. He, you know, he'd been side hustling, building businesses on the side, but he was essentially a teacher. I left teaching. I went via the film school route to try something different. I started freelancing. And really when I started freelancing, that's when I kind of got a bit of an insight into what it's like to be, you know, your own boss and to manage, you know, all the operations. Like you've got to, you know, invoice, you've got to charge, you've got to follow up, you've got to chase up clients, you've got to deliver work on time. So I kind of got a little bit of that through the freelancing. But, you know, when, when we started to, uh, when we, you know, decided, okay, let's build the $100 MBA, you know, Omar had this idea, he wanted to build this online uh, business training community for people like, I don't know if this was in our pre-chat, you mentioned, you know, um, going to, to, to business school, like he wanted to build something that would be accessible for someone who wanted to start an online business, but didn't want to invest all that uh, money and time into a full-fledged MBA. So when he came to me with that idea, I thought, oh, this sounds great. This sounds like another exciting project. I would never have thought, you know, okay, this is the two of us. We're working on something. It's a project. When does it become a business? Well, 
that's another question, right? And when that happens, then you start to, okay, this is much bigger than just me and you and, you know, who we're serving. It starts to become much bigger than that. So it took a, yeah, it took a long time. I mean, I don't know what would be most, I think at the time when we first launched the $100 MBA, I basically, you know, what my role there was, like, what could I do? What skills did I have then that I could contribute? So, you know, Omar created the curriculum. He was going to be on camera. He was going to teach the lessons. This is the video training. This is before the podcast. The podcast came about eight months later. Um, and so, well, I had video, I had fresh video skills from film school. Um, you know, then later on, I converted those into audio editing uh, skills. So for me, it was just really supporting that vision, you know, which is a bit of the, the integrator role, you know, to the visionary um, uh, person. Uh, so supporting that vision and just being on board and doing what I could to, 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 to make it happen, whether it was, we're going, we're going to launch now, we're doing a launch sequence. Uh, we're going to accept our first members. We're going to email those those members, all of those things, that was all new to me. I didn't really have that business experience. So definitely learned, learned a ton over the last uh, 10 years. Well, the best teacher is doing, isn't it? I mean, and what did I you teach? Because I, I think that's fast. I was a teacher too, way back in the day. I was a, no way, a music... really? Yeah, I was a, my first degree was in music education. I was a high school band director, if you can believe it. Uh, I think I'm revealing that for the first time on the podcast. That's good. That's fine. Um, what, what subject were you envious. teaching? Um, no, I was just saying I'm envious of anyone who has any musical talent. So that sounds awesome. I was a uh, English teacher. So English is a second language, but my original training was in languages other than English. So I taught French, Italian, Spanish. And then I majored more and, and focused more on English as a second language because I left Australia to start teaching overseas. I taught in Japan for a bit. I taught in Dubai for a bit. Um, so then I was mostly teaching English as a second language to high school students. Fantastic. And right there, you get the, the cultural experience that that kind of background in this field, especially with remote teams, you can't just, yeah. dis- I mean, it's so you can't take a course that's going to teach you how to be multicultural like you are going to experience by actually living overseas, being immersed in the culture that way, which I think is awesome. Point. I don't know if I thought of it at that point. Like when I think about the, the team now, uh, the spread of cultures, the, the time zones that we're spread across, I know we'll probably get, get into that. Because um, I often reflect on what I took from my early career as, as a teacher for over a decade into business and and I think interestingly too, with operations, there's so much organization that teachers have because they have to be organized. They're accountable to goals and outcomes and all of that. Um, and I think I've definitely carried that over. But I never th- reflected on the, the the different cultural experiences and how that's informed, you know, the fact that we've, you know, brought on people from different parts of the world, different cultural backgrounds, um, and really feel like that the, we've been able to integrate those different cultures into the company and, um, and, and have that representation from, from different parts of the world. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's one of my like continuously evolving paradigms and I'm trying to rest, rest around in my own mind, like the idea of like, what does it actually mean to be multicultural? It's, it's less of like, I'm gonna adapt or adopt their cultures, but more of I'm going to understand and adapt to them, if if that makes sense. Like no one expects you to, I I spent a lot of time in Thailand. And so I I was actually, my best friend was a former monk. 
So like I would go to the Buddhist temples with him and like no one expected me to understand what, but the fact that I took off my shoes without being told to was like, oh, this is wonderful. And then uh, the next year I was in Burma and I just did what I was supposed to do without being told. And all, all the locals were like, this white dude knows what he's doing. It's crazy. And, but it's just those little triggers that we can do that just show, I appreciate your, your culture and your, you know, some of those little things that, that just, that little flag of I'm with you kind of thing. Yeah. Cause you've got that awareness that probably you wouldn't have if you didn't put yourself in those different situations, different countries, different cultures. So for sure. And plus it's super fun, isn't it? Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, what so often happens though with the company. And so we have different cultures coming together, especially right now we're all remote teams and I love it. My, the world is my hiring pool. It's so fantastic. But we also have to be building a team culture. So we have to be taking from all these different cultures, but building our unique team culture. So I'd love to hear some of your thoughts and strategies on building team culture and some things that have worked really well for you. Yeah, I think we became conscious of um, how the way our values, the way we, you know, role model our values and, and the things that we feel are very important, they tend to, you know, flow onto the team and, you know, it's either people are on or they're on board with it or, or they're not. And, you, and, you know, through the hiring process, you, you try and make sure that those expectations are clear. So, you know, it could be anything as simple as like back, back in the day, you know, when remote work wasn't that, that common and video conferencing and video calls weren't, weren't so, so common, but just um, being, you know, the expectation of when we do meet, we turn on our cameras, we see each other, that can be quite confronting or, you know, could put certain people at, at discomfort because it could be whether they might be I don't know, they might be embarrassed about where they live, you know, maybe their living conditions is not, you know, the same as someone else's living conditions. So there could be all these little differences. Um, so, you know, just just setting those expectations at the, at the outset so that you don't make people feel uncomfortable, you don't, you know, bring on people that kind of aren't on board with the same values that you're on board with. So, you know, we try to like operationalize our values, you know, you can have all these values and you can put them up and, you know, say that these are what they, these is, this is what they are, but you really have to make, be conscious when you're building that team culture that you are referring to them, that they are part of the team culture. And so, you know, that whole, one of our team values is, is a team player spirit. And that shows up when, you know, you're participating on video calls or, you know, you're, giving a heads up if you're not going to be there at a meeting or something like that. So, you know, just constantly being mindful of like, well, what are our values? Hiring for people who, you know, can get on board with the same values. And, you know, they say hire and fire against your company values. Um, and then just making sure that everyone's a good fit, you know, and, and that they can, that they can feel comfortable in that company. Cause if, if they don't feel comfortable, then it's not the right place for them to work. And that's okay. Um, they're probably better suited somewhere else. And that's okay. No one has, not every single person has to love your company and, and feel comfortable because they may not thrive in your company. Um, so you can really leave that spot for somebody else. I love that, especially you said operationalize our values. I think like this slogan mission statement doesn't, everyone's so jaded on it and it, it doesn't mm -hmm. 
oh your mission statement that's so cool but it's like okay but what are you doing for me like how are you living this and so like making sure we are because so often the ceo i mean we are so often the the leader of the team and the day-to-day and so they're looking towards us so all the operators out there listening your team is looking at you and they are going to model your behavior your how you're showing up every day and like you have to lead with those values. And so if you want to build that culture, operationalize it, live it, find ways to put it into action. I think that's little goosebumps. I love it. it <laughs> so cool. And so when you're, when you're doing that hiring process, cause you, you had mentioned if they, they fit the culture, like we'll, we'll figure out a way to, to make them work. I, I agree hundred percent. If they fit our culture, it might not be good over in this job, but I'll find a place for them. Is that kind of your thoughts or is it interviewing for culture fit first or how do you do that in the hiring process? So when I say culture fit, it's not that like, I don't want it to be misunderstood as like everyone has to fit, um, you know, a particular culture. I mean, there might be different understandings of that word. Um, But, you know, as I said in the beginning, we have nine different time zones. We've got people spread out across different continents. I thought we should count them, probably all the continents, well, bar the ones that are uninhabited. <laughs> and so so there's definitely a, a, a wide representation of cultures, but it's the culture of those company values. So um, like I said, the team player spirit, or if we're going to be, um, you know, open and open and transparent communication is another one of our values. Um, so, you know, we want to see in that hiring process, is this person a good communicator? Because it's especially, you know, important as a remote team that we're really able to communicate and communicate in different modes. So, Maybe someone is maybe a little bit more shy on camera when they're in a meeting, but, you know, if they've written communication skills are good and if they're willing to be a very communicative person that you can normally tell um, when, when you're hiring, then they'll follow up with, you know, you know, our written communication on our um, project management tools that we use, or they'll respond with emojis like that acknowledgement of, you know, what someone has, has shared um, on Basecamp, for example. So we use Basecamp. Um, so, you know, that open and transparent communication is something that we're looking for in that interview, um, in that interview process, because, you know, we're definitely, definitely looking for skill, you know, you're hiring for skill, but it's that attitude and that culture that you can't really train, you know, you either have it or you don't. Um, and so those are, yeah, I mean, we didn't always get it right, you know, but over time, we learned to to have different layers in our hiring process so that we could just you know maybe filter out some of the candidates that wouldn't wouldn't fit in the end and then it's great as a team like the biggest one of the biggest rewards for us is when um, you know we hired our first team members and then they brought friends and family we've got two sisters who work together and it's just like you know it's that kind of you know mps 100 right your (laughs) score is right up there if it's like would you recommend your company to someone else well when they do that's that's a huge um statement of how they feel about about their job and so we've got a couple of uh, teammates who've brought on other teammates and who are still with us years on so pretty proud of that so Good glad time, you though. said that. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. And I think so often in our roles, when we're talking about something like this, we always have those like two or three bad hires that are like, you can tell it's just like, like I still feel bad about this. Oh, but yeah. then, but then you have those success stories, Nicole, that's just, yeah. 
oh, I love it. And that's just so cool that like they're bringing their friends in too. We, we experienced that at the, at the music company I was working for where like people were, can, can my husband get a job here? It's like, we'll figure it out. Come on, bring him on. Yeah. So yeah. that's so neat. One little trick that I've learned and I'll share with you and the audience is you talked about communication skills and like being transparent during the hiring process. Just a little hack I would do during their, I I do the culture fit interview and then we'd have like some trial tasks and stuff, but I was monitoring all their communications to me in between. Mm -hmm. So every email I got, every Slack message I got, I just put it into a Google doc so I could like track their communication with me over the period of the of the hiring process because so you can re- you see the your rock stars start to emerge right there the people are just going to come to come to bat that yeah that makes sense now that yeah okay wow i like that yeah that, that makes a lot of sense because if you because you're specifically looking and you're folk you're let your laser focused on okay let me look at let me pull out all the ways they communicated whether it's email text whatever it was um, and you're analyzing just that on its own. That's that's interesting. I like that. I will have to adopt that one. It's actually bonus points if I give them a trial task and they ask a question because I'll mm-hmm. I'll sometimes put a little mistake in there to see what happens. So if they ask a clarifying question, I'm like, oh, you just moved up a couple notches. So yeah. that's good because we're yeah, we're gonna screw up and we're human and they need to to see that's huge. Yeah. No, you're right. And it's such a throw. It almost sometimes is a bit of a throwaway. Make sure you ask questions. Asking questions are encouraged. But do you actually follow through and see that they do ask questions? Um, Yeah. So I like that you've brought that up. I think that's really valuable um, for people to, 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 to make sure that they realize, okay, I might say ask questions, but are they actually asking questions? And if they're not, then they're probably not doing up. They're not going to be able to do other things that you expect them to do as well. Or I need to make the trial task way harder. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Fantastic. So with spread across nine days, nine time zones, I should say, is there like a webinar ninja work day or is everyone kind of empowered to work their own or how how do you manage that because i've heard all sorts of different answers mm-hmm. i've tried every solution under the sun and none of them really work perfectly but i'd mm-hmm. love to know how how you're making it work that's yeah it's a good one um so there isn't like one uh, yeah because let's just say oh where omar and i are based in australia headquarters are in australia so everyone's going to work on a streaming time like office hours uh, no, <laughs> and then, I mean, you can do that. Like you said, like you, that could be one way of doing it and then see how that, that works. Um, so, and, and again, because again, it's been like a very organic, slow growth of the team over the years, um, hiring from different parts of the world. We relocated to up until 2016, Omar and I were based in San Diego. Um, so then we came to back to my hometown, Sydney. Um, so we experienced, you know, having, those working those hours versus working our hours um so it it is role dependent and then so for example our support team because we try to have as much coverage um without for our support uh hours then there will be um teammates who do a a night shift or i don't like what they call they're you know it's referred to as the graveyard shift i don't know uh, but that night shift is is one of the shifts that are covered. Um, and so again, in the hiring process, it's about expectations. It's about bringing on people who are prepared to do that if that's the role that they're going to do. Um, so we haven't had any problems with people 
we would rotate that that um, that uh, schedule as well amongst the team. So most of our support team they're in the Philippines. Um, so we you know we find ways to make it work so that it's it's comfortable for them. Um, but there is the expectation that those are the hours um, and and they'll work those hours. Then like let's say with other teams like engineering or product UX UI design, um, you want there to be some overlap. Uh, so when you are hiring and when you're thinking about how's this person going to fit in the team, so you might set some expectations like it would be great if you, uh, you know, would you be willing to overlap with this time zone for, you know, half of your, your working day. Um, and again, so that's all set up at the, the beginning, at the outset. Um, and so again, there's, there shouldn't be any any issues with that if they've accepted to come on board. Um, so pretty much what that means is given the nine time zones, given the different roles, given the different overlapping times, there's always someone on 24-7 working on the $100 rate or webinar ninja, which I think is pretty cool in many ways because when you are a remote team, when people are working in their own places and their own homes, their own spaces, it can get lonely. It can be sometimes a bit of a siloed situation where you're working on your own. So one of the things too, is that when we're hiring, you do have to make sure that the person is able to be independent, work alone and not, you know, find it hard to be self-motivated, so a self, you know, starter and all of that. But it's nice that there's always someone else um, somewhere around the world that they can chat to, you know, um, whether it's on base camp or we also have a virtual office as well um, where the team can, can jump into. That's something we've done now for about two years, which has been a really like I was surprised at the uptake of that, but happy that it worked. Um, yeah. How does the virtual office work? Is it a software suite or what is that? Uh, no, it's a Google Meet room. <laughs> a Google Meet room. Okay. <laughs> Pretty simple. I, um, I, I love off commercial off-the-shelf solutions that's awesome yeah so they just have an, a, a link that's you know um that's open and they can go in there and they can work they can ask questions it was great when you know new teammates started um when uh they you know they had questions and of course you know a lot of the times maybe they if if they're reporting to me or omar they would have questions for me but there's other people that they can go to on the team they can hop into the virtual office or they can send a message on base camp um it's, and it's just yeah they have someone there to chat to so i think it's pretty cool is that something like you have dedicated hours where you're available in there for questions or like, how did, how does that work with your schedule? So, I mean, um, you know, Omar and I will work quite long days <laughs> as you do when you're founders and, um, but you know, we're, we also established that we are an asynchronous team as well. That's one of the things that we established. So no one expects an immediate response. Um, that's not the expectation that we set but of course we understand if those are your hours at a timeliness of a response we do set you know like you you can't leave at 12 24 hours before you get 24 hours um, before you get back to someone depending you know if you're if you're on that on that week um, if it's not a weekend for example um, so yeah so Omar and I make our availability um, we'll hop into the virtual office we don't have set hours that we're in there but because we're on base camp we're just a ping away um, we're in all the different campfires for all the different teams um, we're pretty available you know most of the time unless we're sleeping <laughs> which is maybe not, maybe not something that we want to you know, uh, encourage too much. Well, you know, my, my theory to that, Nicole, is like 
you must have this work-life balance. It's like, don't tell me what my work-life balance should be. If I'm happy with it, then I'm happy with it. You know, the nice thing about being, most of us work from home is, yeah, I I leave the office sometimes at three o'clock for a half an hour to run my kids somewhere. Then I come back and I might mean I have to make it up at night. Okay, gotcha. I have no problems with that. Yeah, again, it's this idea of like these imposed um, rules of what the weekend is, what the hours are. And I I get that. But I think as entrepreneurs, we tend to be quite self-aware, hopefully. (laughs) And, you know, and you you develop and you, you know, you try and build on and and work on your self-awareness. So no one's saying that you have to, I'm not saying that you have to work 15 hours every day uh, until your eyeballs bleed, but, you know, you know when you can push yourself on some days and when you need to pull back on other days. And the great thing is with remote work, with a remote team, um, there's flexibility. Um, and so while there's flexibility, you know, we we model that as well. We have flexibility. Like you said, if I need to run out and do something, I can do that. I, you know, I can communicate my status um, and I don't take advantage of that. And you see that and you model that and you see that the team does the same thing. You know, when they say, listen, I've got to go pick up my uh, kid from school. I'm going to step out. I'll, you know, I'll make up those hours. It's fine. But they communicate because they see that we do the same thing and we don't take advantage of that flexibility, but that flexibility is there, which is, you know, fantastic. It's awesome. I love that so much. It's like, we want you to be open and communicative. So we're going to model it. And by virtue of us modeling it, you're going to get that back in spades. It just, yeah. it's a natural occurrence on a team. I, that's awesome. Very cool. So I i have, I've always felt a little, I, I want to know your take on this because like we're in tech roles half the time. And I don't know about you, like my background's business and marketing. It is not tech UX, any of this if it, if it involves a code that I can't copy from something, I can't do it. So how how have you dealt with that with a, obviously a software as a service, being the COO with having very tech-oriented people under you working on projects, how have you managed not having the technical object, technological background to really know what they were working on, if that makes sense? It might've been a terrible oh, yes. way of wording that question. No, but I, I understand. No, it's not a terrible way of wording it. And and that's where I feel like perhaps in um, bigger organizations, you know, the role of a COO, um, wow, it's 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 not easy, is it? Because they're kind of like spread across all the functions. They, ha- they really have this awareness and should have the awareness and hold everyone accountable across all the functions. But you're right. What if you're not, you know, it's a tech company and you're not technical. How do you know that that developer isn't, you know, spending, you know, not working on the right things or saying he or she needed four hours to do something that could have taken an hour? Um, those are really good questions and, and you find out over trial and, and error over time um, and you build upon those skills. One of the things I think it's, it's a value of mine, it's a personal value of mine is constant learning, lifelong learning. Um, I definitely have learned a lot of, about the different roles in our company, the different functions. Um, I think in the beginning when, as I said, like right at the very beginning, it's like, well, what do I know how to do that I can do right now? That's what I'll work on. Then as the team grows, as the business needs grow, okay, what do I need to learn so that I can also expand and add to my role? 
So in the beginning, I really didn't have management skills. Um, I tended to lean towards, okay, I'm going to help out the support team. I'm really passionate about the customer experience. Um, I'm going to, you know, help the support team build out their SOPs, their systems, all of that. Um, so that with that came like a bit more of an understanding of customer service, you know, NPS, managing team members, but still very on the support side of things still a tech company, right? So now we've, we still have the product and engineering side of things, which you know, for the first few years, I wasn't across as much as Omar by any means. Um, so he had much more, I mean, he was leading the, those teams along with, uh, you know, what we had a CTO eventually and all of that. But over time, when I felt like I had trained my customer support manager and, and she was, you know, totally able to be much more autonomous, then I could step into other meetings and other functions and be much more across um, other functions. So then I ended up, you know, attending more of the product meetings and the engineering meetings and learning so much. And you'll be surprised at how quickly you can actually learn things and how quickly you can pick things up. I think a lot of times, um, I think teachers, especially, we feel like we default to education. We've got to spend years, months learning something. When really in actual fact, like you said at the very beginning, as soon as you start doing something, it's such an acceleration to getting that skill and getting an understanding. And so I was surprised at how much I could actually observe and learn and, and, and apply um, to helping out managing product and also look, you know, being across engineering too, because as my role, I'm trying to hold everybody accountable in all the departments. Marketing, you said marketing. So I think we're a little bit opposite there because marketing was kind of the last, like, uh, I was like, mm, that, I, that's something that's never felt really natural or comfortable. I, again, it's just one of those things that you feel like, oh, I've got to have a marketing degree to understand marketing. No, you don't. <laughs> I've learned that now. But, um, but still, that was the kind of the one that I held at the, you know, a bit of a distance. Um, but I can't do that because I'm operations right i'm the integrator i'm making sure that no one's unblocked in any in any team um that people are meeting their deadlines that everyone has what they need to do to, to do their job so i can't just say oh i'm not good at marketing oh yeah that's not my strength i'm just going to leave that one to omar i'm just going to leave that one to the team you know the more involved you are the more engaged the more you'll actually get back you know it's it's yeah i don't know if that answers your question <laughs> Oh, it does. I went a it's, bit long there. No, I, I think if I can, like my big learning point was, from that was if you don't understand, if you if it's a new thing for you, just jump into their meeting, stay silent, take notes. We be a student yeah. and pick up what you can and you'll pick up more the next week and then you'll pick up more the next week. And then by doing, by being managing the whole thing and answering Maybe not answering their question, but pointing them to the person that can, like yep. being that facilitator, because we don't have to be everything. Uh, operators, we don't have to be everything. Exactly. It's okay. You're not perfect. I say that that's like, I say it for, for myself too, Nicole, <laughs> but yeah, but it's so true. Like you feel you have that pressure. And I, I learned over time that, like you said, you start by just listening, being silent. It's okay. You don't have to say anything. If you haven't got anything to say in that moment, don't feel that pressure. Then it's okay to ask questions. And, you know, maybe you might feel like, oh, they're going to, um, going to be found out that I don't know. You have to get over that, especially when it's your business. It's like, I've got to get over that. Like, 
so what? I don't know that thing. Or maybe it was said last week and I forgot and I didn't, didn't click. I, I'm going to ask that same question again, because only then you're getting, you have to get out of your own way so that everyone else can do, can do their job and everyone else can shine. And then you start asking the questions that are more like, more like connecting people to other people in the organization that can get things done. You don't have to be the source of knowledge, you know, for everything. Um, and you start to train people as well in the team to be more resourceful because you're showing that it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to go and find out. It's okay to, you know, ask someone else. Um, you don't, might not have all the answers, but you've got to be okay to demonstrate that as someone in, in leadership so that other people will do, do the same thing. Cause you can't expect people to just be resourceful and just say, be resourceful, go off and ask questions. They, they don't know what they don't know. Right. <laughs> So, yeah. I love that. Just tell them to be resourceful. That doesn't work. I think the biggest, biggest compliment I ever got from a team member, and it was like, she was actually leaving the company. I was really sad about it, but it was personal reasons. And we, yeah, we don't have to get into that. Uh, but she said, I would bring you problems and you would come up with solutions. And if you couldn't come up with solutions, you tell me who could. And the fact that someone is actually listening to me that actively just meant I knew you cared about me, Adam. And it was just like, I was just crying like crazy. Oh, like, cause that's like, great feedback. Yeah. Even just being that sounding board sometimes. And again, people, you learn in operations too, that different people operate in different ways, work in different ways, are motivated by different uh, things. This, or, or, you know, work through problems in a different way. So some people like to just think and go away and think and not be bothered others like to talk it out so even the fact that this person was able to at least voice and present the problems maybe that time she needed you know you to come up with the solution but maybe another time she'd come up with that solution herself because she was able to you gave her that space to voice the problem and not just hide you know just keep it inside of her i think that's something we see with virtual teams where we don't have the water cooler. We don't have the break room here on a virtual team. We have Zoom and Google meetings. And sometimes the best thing you can do as operator is just shut up and let someone vent and let someone talk it through. And I can just be nodding my head or asking probing questions mm -hmm. and like, oh, you helped me solve it. I'm like, I didn't do anything. I just sat here and looked as pretty as I get, which isn't that pretty, but um, you, you did it yourself. <laughs> but you know, I think it's it's a really cool function we have. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that listening function is really goes a long way. Awesome. So I want to get. I think that's a secret sauce we have. That's one of one of the next questions I want to get to. Like, one a secret sauce that operators have is listening and just being mm -hmm. that presence. What what unique skills do you? think that operators or COs really have to have or that you've learned you had to develop to be your best person in the job? I feel that it's to do with, and, and listening helps facilitate this, um, but it is paying attention to the way each individual ticks and understand and really taking a personal interest. Um, in each person. And I, I think it would, I mean, like we're talking, okay, my experience is with a team of about 20 people. So 
maybe this doesn't apply to you know an operations person in a you know team of 100 but for me my experience and i suppose your audience is in a similar vein they've got small teams or they're solopreneurs um by taking a personal interest in your team members it's it's not only like that they feel like you care about them and that they all show up even you know a better version of themselves because you're invested in them um you can you can monitor for changes. You can kind of see where, you know, kind of predict where things might go a little bit, might not be going very well because you're actually really um, paying attention to the individual people. Like you might trust that you have a manager that's doing everything right. But if you're kind of in tuned and attentive to maybe something that, that seems like they've, they're going through something and you don't have to probe, it's not, you know, you don't have to be their counselor or anything like that. But if you're aware of that, you might step in and ask, you know, uh, or maybe just check some of the metrics or offer to help, um, offer to, you know, ask some questions that might um, indicate that maybe they're, you know, they've lost a bit of focus somewhere. They need a bit of a, a reminder uh, to do something that they maybe haven't been doing because they've been a bit distracted. And I think that comes from listening and really, um, I guess it's a empathy or it's a bit more of um, being a people person, really. You have to be a people person. That's, I think, probably in summation, <laughs> you have to like people. You have to understand that people are going to be really different and they're going to tick and, you know, be, uh, have their quirks and you have to be okay with that. You can't expect everyone to think the same way, act the same way. And that sounds really obvious, but if you're trying to get a team to move as one unit and be accountable and reach their goals and their outcomes, you have to be okay with the fact that everyone's different and you have to find their different ways of uh, being motivated and appealing to the way they like to be managed. Um, and you need to be a people person to be able to do that. Yeah, that was a hard lesson to learn for all of us. Like, oh, I got to deal with people. <laughs> but my mentor told me this and it changed my life. He said, I'm, the CEO is the visionary leader of the company and the motivational leader of the company you the operator are the emotional leader of the company mm -hmm. and when you sh you have to show up in that way to support your team and when you do that they have that emotional support to move forward yeah, yeah. that's a that's a really great way of of putting it because it is more of the emotional side of things isn't it like you can get all brass tacks and you know execute 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 this is the job you've got to get done but if you don't take into account emotions and be okay and be a person who's good with you know discussing emotions feeling emotions being aware of their emotions then you're going to miss things like you know maybe why someone made a decision the way they made the decision why they dropped the ball or, or what was really great about the decision they made because you're kind of more aware of their emotional state. And yeah, it's, it takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of time, but if it's your own company and, and you're invested in your people, then you, you know, you'd be willing to do that. And I'm certainly willing to do that as much as I can to the best of my ability. I'm not perfect by any means, I'm always learning, but, um, but yeah. That's, 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 yeah, that was, that was great. The way that was phrased. 
Well, if anyone out there is new to having to lead in that way, um, I just recommend taking notes. It sounds weird to take notes on your team members, but you'd be amazed the little bit of, you know, you can build up a lot of trust in someone if you remember mm -hmm. that their favorite band was Metallica or that their dog's name is Wolf Wolf or what, mm -hmm. or their girlfriend's name is Cynthia. Like those are the, the human things. And if it means you have to take notes, like just do it, like open yes. up an Evernote folder and keep notes on people. It's not creepy. It's not, it's solely a matter of you having to take our very operational mind and having to like, Oh, okay. Gotta, gotta, gotta put this somewhere. So I, I remember it even just by typing it, you remember it better. So yeah. that's a little uh, hack if, if you need to get into that, but definitely honest, everyone's still... birthday in, in Google oh, yeah. calendar. So yeah, like that's a, that's basic, but I, I, I agree what you said, like um, remembering all these details goes such a long way when, you know, Hey, how's your daughter's, you know, they just double digits this year. Wow. First double digit birthday. It does. It means a lot. It always meant I would try to be the first person on the team on Slack in the morning so I could be the first person to say happy birthday. <laughs> I have to do it before the gym or someone else is going to come in and beat me. <laughs> Not competitive at all there, Adam. <laughs> Us Operators are never competitive. Come on. It's not what we do. <laughs> I have one last thing I'd like to discuss, and this has been phenomenal. I, I am I, I was geeking out getting ready for this, and I knew I knew it wasn't going to disappoint. I find if you go to like I just got back from this huge marketing convention in in Orlando, Florida, and like all these entrepreneurs have these hero stories. And I was like, dang it, operators need our hero stories, like that moment where we just pulled the company out of the fire and like rest, you know, something was breaking apart and we solved it. Can you think of any hero stories from your past that are like that big, awesome Hollywood moment? Wow. You're putting me on the spot here. <laughs> I think... I can't think of a, a specific example, but I can think of, I suppose, all the times when um, when, you know, it's, you know, software, technology, things might go down, you know, this, this, the technology might not be doing what it's supposed to be doing for whatever, an hour, a day. Um, I feel that, you know, focusing on what we can control, focusing on the next five minutes, the next steps and being optimistic of like, what, what can we do next? Let's focus on that. Um, and not being the person, I think I've, I don't know if there's someone in someone at one, I think I heard someone at a conference once mention they were describing their team and they were describing a personality of the person that points out that there's a fire and, you know, all the, all the drama around that fire and then just walks away. doesn't want to be solution focused and just like leaves everyone like, Oh my God, there's this fire now that we have to deal with where, where'd so-and-so go, then they know where to be saying. Um, and so I think in general, what I try to do is to have that optimistic outlook, um, that focus on like, what do we know? What can we do in the next five minutes, 10 minutes next day um, to solve and to get out of the situation um, and just to keep um, 
that kind of energy and that kind of vibe going um, so that people, so we're not just, you know, arms and, oh, what are we going to do? And it's drama and it's chaos. I think it's more of an attitude. I don't have a specific uh, story that I can think of. I'm sure there's maybe that hopefully there's been a moment, but I think it's just that general uh, uh, attitude and character of being optimistic and being focused on like, well, what can we do right now? Um, to, to, you know, to, to get out of this situation, to solve this problem. So funny, like the, without having a specific story attached to it, like the end lesson was the exact same as my hero story, which it, okay, I've, I've daughters, I've seen frozen 3000 times. Okay. And one of the taglines in frozen two is you just have to do the next right thing. Wow. That's great. So, like my hero story was when, when the world shut down like in March of 2020 and we're like, what are we doing? And every other company we knew friends of, they were just like going and they were just going to do the turtle thing and put mm -hmm. their head away. And we're like, nope, that ain't going to happen. So it's one of those like days of just do the next right thing, just do the next right thing. And we launched like six yeah. marketing campaigns in a single day and revamped the company overnight. Why? Because it was a different world. And yes. But yep. just do the next right thing. Yep. Thank you, there Anna you go. and Elsa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much. Just one last fun thing to end on. And it's not a hard question, but um, if you do come up with a hero story that you want to share, we'll just slice it in here. Um, but... <laughs> I firmly believe that leaders are readers and I see you have lots of books in your background too. I can't, I'm always reading at least three at a time because I'm that kind of person. What kind of books are you currently reading? What books would you recommend? Any books you'd recommend? Not, it doesn't even have to be business books. Fiction books are great as well. Oh gosh. I, I am one of those people that have a few books going on at once. Um, so, and I have my fiction book at night. So I've got a few Japanese, well, one Japanese novel that I've got um, at night that I read before bed, but during the day in the morning, when I have my reading time, I will read a business book. So right now I've got the alter ego effect by Todd Herman. That's a great book. And I would say it's probably a, a, a good book for um, your listeners um, in the sense that especially if we're thinking about all the different roles that we play, the different um, ways that we're expected to show up in different areas of our life, whether it's our family, whether it's our business, whether it's with, with our friends and other relationships, um, we're called uh, to be and to have um, you know, a way to show up as our, the best possible way we can show up in that um, situation and so the alter ego effect is is great um, is a great one I'm only halfway through it um, but I'm, it's very inspiring I've also got Jenny Blake's free time lose the busy work and love your business that's a great book uh, for a very underserved uh, market in terms of you know businesses that are one two to five um, you know there's a lot of business books out there that you know, for the big teams and the big companies, the big organizations, but for the small business um, owner, um, Jenny Blake's book, Free Time, is really, really great to get some systems in place and making sure that all those, you know, to have like, even if you've got a tiny team that you can have, you know, your time back and, you know, your, your business is running really, really well at the same time. I love books. 
<laughs> me too now i'm in trouble because i'm imagine. gonna go buy more books on amazon tonight <laughs> nicole because uh, i don't have either of those two and now i have to buy oh, them great oh no you'll love them i'm sure <laughs> there's one recommendation i can make for fiction specifically and so you're not into marketing i got that but knowing a little bit of copywriting is really good okay and the jack reacher novels so there's mystery oh. novels. If you can write the way he writes in those novels, I was a professional copywriter actually told me this. And so I started reading them just to study okay. the way the, the prose is all organized. If you write your copy like that, you will never be broke again. So, really? The Jack Reacher novels. Okay. They're mystery yeah. books. Okay. Yeah. They're oh, mystery novels. Uh, he's like a military policeman and man, they make military policemen seem like superheroes in this book series. Uh, I was in the military. They're not that cool. Sorry, MP buddies. You're not Jack Reacher. You know you aren't, though, but it's okay. Um, Have you read yeah, the, the Boron Letters? It's on my Christmas list. Okay. That's probably I, I, maybe the only marketing movie. No, I have, might have read other marketing books, but that one on copywriting. Um, and it's also like just a it's a, a book with like lots of life lessons too, um, which is really, really nice. It's a father to son. Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it's oh, on my wish break. list. I reach a time of the year where I have to submit a wish list and I'm prohibited from buying from that wish list okay. until January. And I've noticed my marriage is much happier when I buy by this rule. So I submit <laughs> my list and I'm I'm not allowed buying it. So, cause it's on the list. So <laughs> If I don't have it in January, in. I'm ordering it. We'll see. <laughs> awesome. Fantastic. Oh, this has been so much fun, Nicole. Do you have any uh, final thoughts before we wrap up here today? I uh, know I had a great time, Adam. I hope um, this was helpful. We could geek out, like you said, on operations all day and going to tools and systems and all the nitty gritty. But um, I think it's uh it's such an interesting role and I really appreciate that you have a podcast dedicated to it because I almost think it's one of those underserved um, kind of roles that can be very different depending on the organization, depending on the business size, the resources, uh, the team size, all of that um, can really, you know, inform like, okay, what is the best way to you know be the integrator be that operations person for this company it could be very different for another company so i think this you're doing a great service with this podcast oh, thank you so much well i think you pretty much you had two great things that were as long as we're listening and we're doing the next right thing like that's really the key but it's about being aware of your situation being a flexible and yes we are under underserved listen to that ceos listening to this show you need to appreciate your operators some more so it's going to be part of my life's work is to make us an appreciated commodity yeah. great mission <laughs> awesome thank you so much nicole i can't we need to stay in touch and geek out on a more regular basis and yeah if you if you're interested in learning more about nicole um Check out the $100 MBA podcast and Webinar Ninja. Uh, webinars are still very much a thing in this marketing environment. I think it's going to become even more of a thing, but that's a whole other side of my brain that I'm not going to activate just now because we'll be here for a lot longer on how cool webinars can be, uh, especially if you're selling high ticket. Okay, that's it. I won't go into any more marketing. <laughs> but um, 
Awesome. Thanks so much, Thank Nicole. So Have a great rest of your day and anything I can do or anything you'd ever want to geek out in the future, just shout. Oh, likewise. Thanks, Adam. I'm really glad we connected. I'm looking forward to staying in touch. Hey, before you bounce out of here, I have a free strategy session available exclusively for my podcast audience. In this 30-minute phone call, we'll unveil the immediate steps you can take to operationalize your business and put you back in the driver's seat. Just go to www.adamliette.com and click start here.